Hello and welcome. My name is Mike and you're watching Watch It Baptist Church Online. You join us for the first in a new five-part series looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. Let's begin in prayer. Lord, would you open your heart to us so we might understand you and be close to you. And might we open our hearts to you and allow ourselves to be changed and challenged. Amen. I'm going to begin by reading from the very start of the book of Ecclesiastes, two verses, and they're going to skip immediately to the very end, uh, to the back end of chapter 12. Um, this book ending of the way the book works is, I think, really important for our understanding of it. Before I do launch in, though, I want to uh, bring to your attention a little bit of advice which is given to lots of people who study Ecclesiastes, which is that it is a hard book to read. We're looking at it because I think it's valuable to look at some of those uh, less investigated, maybe less preached on parts of the Bible. We've done this previously at Watch It Baptist Church with Leviticus and with Ezekiel, and we're doing it with Ecclesiastes this time. But be aware that some of this book uh, is, is hard going. And I think in lots of ways that's its strength, that it doesn't hide from, shy away from, or, or ignore some of the difficulties of real life. Anyway, I'm going to begin with uh, these verses and then we're going to take a little look at why I think they're significant uh, and then we'll be referring to other bits of Ecclesiastes in this session. So starting at the very beginning of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless and then to 12 verse 9 keep this in mind the teacher was considered wise and he taught the people everything he knew he listened carefully to many proverbs studying them and classifying them the teacher sought to find just the right words to express truths clearly the words of the wise are like cattle prods painful but helpful their collected sayings are like a nail-studded stick with which a shepherd drives the sheep. But, my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful, for writing books is endless and much study wears you out. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Well, you might say, why start by visiting the end of this book? And there are a couple of reasons for that. One is that there are two distinct voices that we need to be aware of in Ecclesiastes. And the second is to make a point about the kind of writing this is, the way it's structured. So let's do one thing at a time. This is a book with two voices in it. You have the author and they don't talk very much. In fact, we've just read all of what they contribute. The first verse and then those last sort of five verses as well. They don't contribute very much, but they play an important role because this character, the author, who, who refers in verse 12 to a child, and so we might think of them as a father figure, is the person who is presenting the truth as expressed by the teacher. So we need to be aware that all the way through, we're getting a presentation by the author of what the teacher 
is saying. It's not a narrative book, it doesn't tell a story. In actual fact, it comes back to the same themes over and over again. It's, it's kind of cyclical. It, it kind of goes round in circles, but not in a kind of predictable way. It doesn't regularly come back to the same thing. It, it sort of intersperses, and you hear the same things mentioned and talked about. There's no reference in this book to Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. It does not in any way refer to the story of the people of Israel. And so we're not going to approach it in a way that works through from beginning to end, in that kind of systematic way. Instead, we're going to look at it thematically. We'll take themes in each of our five sessions and look at them. Now, this is the first session, so there's much more introductory material here, but we will be making some, uh, having some kind of a look at a theme. The subtitle of this particular session is The Reality of Human Experience. And in lots of ways, you could say that's a good subtitle for the whole of the book. But it is something we're going to look at today. So you've got this author, and then you've got the teacher, or at least the, the person that this translation, the New Living Translation, refers to as the teacher. There are, however, lots of different words that are used in different translations for this character. Originally, the Hebrew word used is kohelet. That's spelt with a Q at the beginning. So Q-O-H-E-L-E-T. Some translators put an H on the end of it. It's kohelet is how I'm going to refer to him. He talks about wisdom. He presents a sense of wisdom and of what life is like and what experience is like. He refers often to things under the sun. Uh, and he very frequently says... That things are meaningless. We're going to have a little look at what that word meaningless is actually telling us in a moment. But first of all, I want to have a little look at what Kahelet means, because we're not entirely sure that that's a proper name, uh, like, a, like a person's name, like Mike, for me. It might, it might be, but it might well not be. It's more likely to be a kind of a title. So when the NLT calls him the teacher, the the, the bit in front gives us a sense of title. So you could say the Kohelet to refer to him. And a Kohelet, or Kohelet if you want to take the the off the beginning, is um, someone who gathers people perhaps. The word Kohelet has links with the idea of congregation or gathering of people. That's in fact where we get uh, the Ecclesiastes title, which is a Greek translation of Kohelet. So it's somebody who brings people together. There is a particular translator who refers to them not as teacher, but as churchman. Maybe a person who gathers people together, uh, particularly in the context of being people of God. So he is Kohelet, or the teacher, or the churchman. And the author of the book introduces him in verse 1 like this. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Now, this has led lots of people to believe that we are referring to... It's a reference to Solomon, who was king after David was. There are several reasons why this doesn't quite work. One of them is that the way the language is presented doesn't really work with the time of Solomon. There are bits of language borrowed that come from later, or from, from other parts of the world, from Persia and from um, Arabia. And so it's much more likely it's a much later book than Solomon himself. 
but we're okay with this because it's quite normal to, to in this kind of literature at this kind of time period to borrow a persona in order to try to introduce the point you're trying to make so in this case the Kohelet as a son of David is someone who has a perspective of wisdom and experience and authority and learnedness learnedness so he's worth listening to and he says that um, everything is meaningless just as a by the way there were uh, arguments in the past about whether or not this book should be part of the bible something that hebrew scholars wrestled with partly because some of the content feels like it's not godly in the same way that a lot of the other teachings and prophet kind of given words are but ultimately they've decided that it is in the right place that it is worth hearing and it does belong as part of a revelation of god to his people so the Kehelet is well placed to be making these observations and he starts by saying everything is meaningless now that word meaningless is again we need to go back to hebrew for it and the word is hevel or havel h-e-v-e-l hevel I might sometimes call it Havel, but most of the time I suspect I'll be saying Hevel. So when, when Kohelet says everything is Hevel, everything is meaningless, the word Hevel actually translates well as vapour or smoke, something like that, mist perhaps. And the idea is of something that is intangible uh, or fleeting or, or um, very non-permanent, you know, something that comes and goes or or possibly even something that's hard to grasp something that's hard to get hold of it's, it's not solid enough for you to be able to hold it you can see it and perceive it but you can't grab it it's perhaps well described as being something that's got a sense of enigma mystery to it um, and and possibly paradox too and very early on uh, Kahelet is saying life is like that life is vapor life is um, hard to grasp and and very quickly he's also talking about whether we can find meaning does anything mean anything anyway and you can imagine why some scholars felt this is a difficult thing a difficult thing to talk about when you're trying to explain what god is like and how we might understand him and what he's given us in terms of what life is it's interesting that meaning is a big deal for lots of people. Grayson Perry, the artist, British artist, uh, wrote this. My job, he said, is to make meaning. To make meaning in a meaningless world. That's that grasp of things being meaningless. Does feel very Ecclesiastes-like. As a book, 12 chapters, Ecclesiastes is, as I said before, a little bit repeating, a bit cyclical goes in cycles it's also complicated and unexpected and does some surprising things it's quite cynical sometimes about people and life experience but there's also joy in it and there's definitely a god-fearingness to it as well and it's ruthlessly honest it challenges certainty with some regularity and it challenges some of those sort of propositional ideas of faith some of that kind of faith is nice regular easy blocks that get built together in order to make it work Kehelet says this in, in chapter 6 verses 10 to 12 
everything has already been decided. It was known long ago what each person would be. So there's no use arguing with God about your destiny. The more words you speak, the less they mean. So what good are they? In the few days of our meaningless lives, who knows how our days can best be spent? Our lives are like a shadow. Who can tell what will happen on this earth after we are gone? It's not upbeat, is it? It's not necessarily depressing, but it's certainly very honest and, and in a bleak kind of a way. Kehelet makes lots of references to things under the sun all the way through. I, I, I could have compiled a list of how many times he says under the sun. There are lots of them. He says everything under the sun is meaningless and, and people's toil under the sun and the things we see under the sun. And what's fascinating about this is he's not just saying the things we see, but he's saying the things we experience. What is real life actually like? That's, that's what he's scratching at. That's what he's trying to get to grips with. That's what he's digging around to discover. Sylvester Stallone, playing the part of Rocky Balboa, says this. Nobody is going to hit as hard as life, but it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much can you take and keep moving forward? I think that's the kind of perspective that Kehela is really interested in. And what I love about this book is that God in his wisdom has given us, uh, in the revelation of who he is and what his character is like and what, what his interaction with the world is like, has given us this insight, this window into the honest ruthlessness of real life. It's not hidden from. Perhaps we encounter ways of looking at faith that sometimes look to ignore that approach, to pretend. In The Matrix, the uh, groundbreaking um, sci-fi film starring Keanu Reeves, um, there was a key moment where the central character, played by Keanu Reeves, who's called Neo, has to make a choice. He's presented with the possibility that the life he knows isn't really real and that there is a deeper understanding of it. And the guy facing him, giving him this choice about which direction he wants to take in, in his life, called Morpheus, offers him one of two pills to take, a red one or a blue one. And if he takes the blue pill, he can stick with his pretend life, where there's a veneer over reality, where you, you choose to ignore the depth of the reality around you. Or he can take the red pill and, as Morpheus says, find out how deep the rabbit hole goes. To choose the real rather than the glossy. That's the choice that Neo has to make. And I think it's a choice we have to make too. And Ecclesiastes does a cracking job of saying this. This is the reality that we live with day by day. Kehelet says, this is reality. Let's talk honestly about it. I'm just going to quote from chapter 3, verses 9 to 15. What do people really get for all their hard work? I have seen the burden God has placed on us all, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So I concluded there is nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. 
and people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labour, for these are gifts from God. And I know that whatever God does is final. Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. God's purpose is that people should fear him. What is happening now has happened before and what will happen in the future has happened before because God makes the same things happen over and over again. Again, you might feel this is quite bleak, but actually I think what Kahelet is doing is saying, let's, let's brush away the rubbish, let's be honest about how we see the world, what our experience of the world is like, what our life actually tends to be, what, what we see the people around us experiencing and living through. And it is everyone's reality. And it's important that we recognise this, not least because it's part of what Jesus came to share. We dip into Hebrews 4. We get a little phrase or a couple of phrases about Jesus' great high priest. And the writer of Hebrews says, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. There is no point in Jesus having lived rather than just being sacrificed, having lived as humanity, if he doesn't have an experience of what it is like to be human. So that he can say, yeah, when it feels meaningless, when it when everything is random and, and makes no sense when nothing can be grasped i've lived that i know that i get that says jesus everything will be forgotten all we do and achieve and all of who we are and all the things that we thought mattered most in the world in due course will be forgotten and very very likely that most of us will be too because that's how life works, how the world works. In three or four generations' time, people will find out about us on websites because of our census data. But that's about it. All we do and all we achieve, and even who we are, has its limits. Now, you will come across people in the world around you who are quite cynical. Cynics who say how awful things are and how badly the world works. And actually, what Ecclesiastes encourages us to do is say, Oh, no, 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 to the sick. No, no, no. It's much worse than that. It's meaningless. And we're all going to die. Because that's effectively what Kehelet tells us. But he tells us this as a presentation, remember, that the author is giving us to help us engage with the reality of life and God's place in it. This is not a book that just... Um, what's the phrase? There's a phrase that kids use now called trauma dumping. You just take all the trauma that you have and you dump it on the people around you and then you walk away and you feel better and they're left worrying about all your trauma. It doesn't trauma dump. It, it genuinely says there is a context for this. Let's be honest about the reality, but let's remember the context too. So there is enjoyment to be had. It's interesting, isn't it? You look at Paul's description to the Galatians about what the fruits of the Spirit are and joy is right up there near the top love joy peace joy is supposed to be a part of how we respond to the, what the world is like now that isn't about fake happiness it is about the reality of a joy that knows what real life is like but it also this approach this these words from Gehelet do knock on the head this the whole prosperity gospel idea the whole idea that when you live uh, alongside God everything's all right for you Kehelet's experience doesn't match that and the author of Ecclesiastes tells us that Kehelet was considered wise and listened to. 
I watched a little while ago, uh, a film called, um, I think it was The Eyes of Tammy Faye, and it was from Tammy Faye Baker's point of view, the story of uh, Praise the Lord Ministries and her part in that and Jim Baker, her husband. And right very early on in the story, Jim Baker says, God doesn't want us to be poor. So let's go out there and, and enjoy the riches that God wants us to have. And according to the film, the way Jim went about that wasn't particularly ethically appropriate. The reality is that while God definitely wants to bless us, there are no guarantees about us having a good, fun or easy life because we are with God. Kehelet is brutally honest about that. There is a theory that the whole book is an attempt to deconstruct all other attempts at finding meaning that aren't God. I'm going to be quoting several times from uh, um, the commentary by a guy called Ian Proven. And he says this, as a consideration of the whole book reveals, the emphasis lies on the passing nature of existence and on its elusiveness and resistance to intellectual and physical human control. The main obstacle to living well in the world is that mortal beings consistently refuse to accept their mortality and finitude or finiteness. That commentator, Ian Proven, that commentator's uh, way of reading this book is to say it really wants to have a pop at those who think we can control things when we can't. Who think we can, we can achieve anything when actually there are limits on us. It also does something I think that's really important, the book as a whole. Kellett, in his expression of the, the brutality sometimes, the, the, the bleakness sometimes, the, the honesty of real life, is actually, I think, seeking to uh, challenge or critique or, or, or get into dialogue with some of the other wisdom literature of the Bible. So Proverbs, as a book, is really good at saying, um, don't be foolish, because this will happen if you are. Or, or be wise, and then these good things will come about. Um, and you know, God will reward those who are good, and he will punish those who are evil. And I think Helet looks at the world around him and his experience of it, and his experience of people in general, and says, do you know what? don't think that works all the time yeah, I think it's good principles he's not saying it's not true but he is saying real life experience doesn't always match that ideal I think you find something very similar in the book of Job where Job has a really hard time and his friends come along and really simplify everything and say well you know if bad things have happened it must be because you're bad you must have sinned in some way that you can't remember have a good think see if you can remember what it is that you've done that's wrong that means that these bad things are happening and Job pushes back against that and says look I, I am righteous I have honoured God I have you know I've lived obediently and regardless of whether you think that's practically possible or not it, I think the challenge is there you know let's not get oversimplified in our understanding of how God works life is complicated why should books be simple? Why should the Bible tell a simple story all the time? 
I think in summary then of this first part, I want to say this. Life is difficult and random, and Kahelet is honest about that. I'd also say uh, something we can take away from these early uh, thoughts is kind of on the randomness maybe of, of real life is that we can waste our life waiting for things to settle down. Kahelet, I think, quite rightly says, life is vapour-like, it's hard to grasp, it's, it's difficult and tricky. Let's not wait for it to be something that works for us. Let's recognise the reality and look to enjoy ourselves in the middle of it. We will look later at the possibility that part of what's being said in Ecclesiastes is that we might say the only thing we can actually control is how we respond to now and so maybe that's where we should give our attention i'm going to pray because that we're done now for today i'm going to pray uh, but then we are going to have a look at some questions let's pray father in this complicated and deep and very meaningful book there will be many things that maybe make us stop and think or trip us up or, or lead us in a different direction that we haven't experienced before would you be tender with our hearts and would you provide people around us who will be tender with us too amen okay here's question one what struggles are you experiencing that you're waiting to end what struggles are you waiting for an end to and what does Ecclesiastes have to say about waiting for things to finish, waiting for bad things to end or struggles to run their course? What does Ecclesiastes have to say about that? Question two. I mentioned very briefly towards the end about this sense of critique that maybe Ecclesiastes, Kehelet himself, is reflecting on or responding to the kind of wisdom that proverbs gives so what the second question is how do you feel about one part of the bible being in dialogue with another and maybe critiquing it how does that make you feel where do you go with that and question three in a world of hevel of, of mist and smoke and enigma in a world that is arguably meaningless and certainly feels random what is there in your life that gives you meaning or satisfaction or joy? And how is God part of that? Thank you for being with us. It's gonna be uh, an interesting ride through Ecclesiastes and I'm um, privileged to be able to walk it with you. I'll see you soon.